Hello? Are we... Okay. So what was going on here? Being good at ear jobs. The Daystam Institute. Oh yeah. Marquis of Queensbury rules. Oh yeah. Strap in everybody. It's AQ episode. Oh yeah. It's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello, and welcome again to the Rules of Acquisition podcast where we will talk about the greatest television show of 1994, or, or the greatest sci-fi television show of 1994, if you had brand loyalty and weren't into that other one that was on. <laughs> Babylon 5. Babylon 5, yeah, I about said Battlestar. Yes. And, man, it's not the few drinks that I've had that have contributed to my memory loss, it's just my shitty brain. Uh <laughs> Anyways, uh, with me as always is James Nolan. Hello. And Hugh Crawford. Hello. I'm Wade Bowen. And okay, today we're talking about a real favorite of everybody's, I can tell. Um, (laughs) (laughs) An episode called Q-less. Joking around because I get the sense that you guys didn't like this one very much. Uh, this one is. I, uh, was, I was just while you were while you were in the restroom. I just I uh, I quoted Stringer Bell by calling it a forty degree day. Like <laughs> I have nothing to say. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm here and I'm engaged. But it it was a bit of a a struggle to find a a, a lot of emotion on my part towards anything going on in the show. Most of my notes involve uh, Vash's fashion choices. Oh, okay, interesting. I had. Usually I notice the fashion choices a lot, but Vash's I did not. I always think of Vash the Stampede just because I spent a lot of time in college watching Trigun animes on Cartoon Network. Um, But, oh, but, oh, first you? The name of the episode, as we said, is Q-less. It aired on February 7th, 1993. Uh, the description is Q, the Enterprise D's consistent, omnipotent annoyance, comes to harass a DS9 crew when traveling with his traveling companion, Vash, who refuses to travel with Q any longer. Um, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, it doesn't really get into the, the quirk stuff, which is a big part of this, this particular episode. And every episode so far. <laughs> well, good, because he's one of the best characters. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. The Netflix description just says Cisco and the crew must save the station from destruction or something. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay. That's that's not the series blurb. That's for this episode. That's their form response to have most of the episodes. I might be an anomaly here. I actually like this one. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm interested. I. I want to, yeah. I want to hear. I want to hear your side. I mean, I have a lot. Of, I took a lot of notes of nitpicky things, mm-hmm. but it does a good. It's it's a Q episode, and I feel like you either like or hate Q episodes. I don't feel like there's indifference. Like in in next, I'm I may be I may be indifferent. Okay, yeah. 
I don't. I mean, like I, in Next Generation, they bring him on as Roddenberry's atheist god or whatever. Is it? Yeah, that. I mean, uh, I don't hate him on Encounter at Farpoint. I think I hate. And I don't hate John Delancey. John Delancey's a really good actor. He was good in Breaking Bad. He was good in West Wing. Like, I like John Delancey. I think I hate John Delancey's acting of Q. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think he's supposed to be obnoxious. True. Yeah. So, like, so I think, I mean, I, I think maybe he's just being effective. That made a lot of sense, actually. But I I like the Q episode where he introduces the Borg. I actually like that episode in season two, I think that's a pretty good. It's one of the shining spots in season two. Yes, it is. Mario Mario Hurley's uh, brought that on the show, <laughs> but um, I liked that episode a lot. Uh, the rest of them, I I probably don't remember at all. Yeah, I rewatched uh, Voyager last year, and Q is absolutely horrible in those. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Those episodes to me are almost unwatchable. This, by contrast, is a little bit better. I feel like this. Like I've said before, Star Trek Deep Space Nine is a show with obligations, <laughs> and this is like right off the bat. It's up, you know, got to check the Q episode obligation off its list. And by some strange way, it's, it's like some sort of like character algebra where Q is the common denominator and seeing how people react to them will be a telling sign of what the audience is going to see from here on out. And, you know, Q's interaction with Cisco is, serves that sort of purpose. Yeah. I have thoughts on that. (laughs) That's what I like, because you're early on in the season. This is like, okay, this is how we differentiate captains or commanders in this case, because Cisco is just a lowly... uh, Yeah. And then Q knows just how to push his buttons. Oh, that's why you've never had command of a ship. And it was nice that we're like, oh, oh, I liked all the... Well, Picard would do this differently, and, and then... They're pretty heavy-handed with, I'm not Picard. Mm-hmm. This is how he's different as the leader of the show. Yeah. He's easier to provoke. I like that about him. He's a hothead. Okay, so I'm going to introduce this in. Because we 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 seem to have a motif of talking about diversity issues on the show. So I'm just going to say, is there something about it that's that sort of ruffles feathers that you have a, a black captain or a commander, and his response to Q is violence? Oh, as opposed to Picard's sort of reasoned sophistication. Interesting. I didn't even think of it that way. Oh, really? That, I guess, could be a little problematic. I, I thought about that, too. I, and I think Avery Brooks does a good job of tempering what sort of representation you see on the screen. Uh-huh. I think uh, he does not. He's very careful not to play the angry black man yeah. Uh, yeah. cliche. Mm-hmm. And I think that. You know, and sometimes he's just confounded by Q. Like when he gives that high pitched what? You know? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have my issues with his high pitched vocal styling sometimes, yeah. but I thought he's very much he, he's not like an angry black man. He's just like right. no a natural response to a regular human, not this enlightened Horatio hornblower tactician. And he was provoked twice violently mm-hmm. by, by Q. Right. So I think he's more realistic. I think you want to punch Q in the face. And yeah. everybody who's watching Next Generation episodes and you're watching Q, everybody's thinking as an audience member, why doesn't somebody just punch him? <laughs> you know, and finally Cisco does. I think Cisco lives in the real world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I like it too. I just, I, I know, like, when I watched that, I was like, that would be written different today. That's the only, and I'm not saying that I yes. think it is 
problematic or whatever. But I I think that when I saw it, I thought of it. It's definitely an interesting observation. Yeah, I think it's smart to point out. Yeah, I, I don't think that I believe that it was necessarily, you know, a microaggression to show him that way. But, um, God, I do, I, you do use the language of social justice warriors quite a bit. So, but, um, okay, so I don't... <laughs> think that necessarily it was that but it definitely came up in my mind and it was really the only thing i could think of the first time watching it that being said the second time he's like no it was cool that he punched him i mean i think they are going out of their way to show cisco as a cooler character which may be racist racial racist in itself but i think (laughs) but i think they're going out of their way to show him as cooler and punching him is definitely cooler. Well, it's not like they make him rap anytime or anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, they don't go overboard. So <laughs> Picard's a pretty straight British white guy, straight laced, not you know. <laughs> but you yes. know, they just show him like a regular person and not like let's make him quote unquote urban or something really problematic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. But man, I, I've noticed a lot of things to talk about just nitpicking in this whole episode uh, <laughs> like even in the opening scene oh but she talking about roddenberry's like utopian vision of the future boy women are boring in the future <laughs> if all that it takes to impress them is talking about a math test or well okay <laughs> that, okay let's go back to that scene because i can't tell because you have the the great authorial eye of uh o'brien there sure the side eye and that's so okay so just to set the stage what happened what's happening is that bashir is trying to woo a woman by talking about his medical exams <laughs> yeah and his adventures taking his medical exams yeah you think he's talking about a fight but no he's talking about a test mm-hmm. and it works every time he says like billy d williams <laughs> but i think you're supposed to think that bashir has never touched a woman in his life that i i think maybe he's supposed to be coming across as that kind of guy who's like a dumb nerd who's just trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and never really sticking the landing and i wonder and he's a braggart and he's sort of all show yeah that's what that's a way to read that scene so he thought that that's well i'd say that's the way they maybe that's maybe the writers did it somebody should have told the director because the woman is like oh impressed by it yeah that's true yeah it's pretty and then i couldn't tell what she's not a dabo girl right she's not a girl that's being paid to be interested no she's a bajoran right okay so he's not he's not telling this to like the Hooters waitress, <laughs> who's, who's acting interested because of heel temper. Right. Uh, so I, yeah, maybe you're right, but I, it is very ridiculous. But I can't tell how how it's supposed to be ridiculous. Yeah, I couldn't either. I, I think you're supposed to judge Bashir harshly because of O'Brien's sort of eye rolling and and definitely we're all supposed to be rolling our eyes at him. They should have just made it not work. <laughs> You're right. But, you know, whatever. Have the woman uninterested in it, yes. I think that the, what you guys are pointing out is a problem in general. Like, we don't know, like, that we've had throughout the first six episodes. is We, we don't always know what they were trying to accomplish with, with any given <laughs> yeah. character scene. Yes. So it's something that we come back to over and over again. It's like, what are we supposed to feel about this scene? 
And we both have, you guys both have evidence for both arguments, you know? <laughs> right. You're, like, you're like, both right. You know, you can both make cases that he's supposed to look this way or no, he's supposed to look this way. But that's just a testament to how poorly directed that some of these scenes are. Yeah. Uh, but though, make note that O'Brien is just not saying anything. And this is a theory of my own that's bullshit. And it doesn't play out really well enough to make it like a good case that it works. Mm-hmm. But then, okay, moving on to the next scene, they're having struggling to get people out of a shuttlecraft because Dax is, this is, this scene was very confusing to me. <laughs> Dax is stuck in a shuttlecraft and then they're like, Oh, we got two life signs readings. And then, uh, Bashir's like, no, we have three. And then there's only two people in there, but really there's three because Dax is a trill and she's two people, but nobody knows this shit unless they've been paying too close attention. Cause then they say there's three people in there, but only two come out. Unless you know that Dax is a dual organism, that doesn't make any sense. Wait, I, I thought that they were reading Q on the ship. Well, were they? Yeah, that was the other thing. Maybe they're reading Q on the ship, but he doesn't show up on readings anyways. I, I think that's what it was. I think you're thinking you're giving Dax more thought than the writers have given <laughs> Dax at this point. Oh, so it was Q that they were reading? because Yeah, it was Q that they're... He shouldn't show up on the readings anyway. He's a godlike... Entity. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He can What's show the, up however he wants. The bigger issue, that that actually is not my issue. The bigger issue with that scene is, we've seen this a thousand times. Why do you need to open the damn thing? Just go to a fucking teleporter room, teleport them out. Yeah. Well, oh, that's weird. I didn't even think about they that. They do that every time before a thing blows up. Why do they? I what? don't understand why anyone walks anywhere on the show. But you're right. You can just, you should never have a door opening drama in the show. You can. <laughs> right. Well, usually they don't. They're like, okay, O'Brien, teleport them out of there. And then the thing blows up. Mm-hmm. But I guess maybe. They're docked, and they don't want to take out the station. I don't know. I'm overthinking it. Oh, you guys bring up an even better point, though. I never even realized this. Why do they have docking pylons in the first place? Why doesn't? Why don't you just have everybody orbit the damn thing and transport down? That's a good point. And it, I don't know why does it. I mean, the whole the whole damn ship is is basically docking pylon, and and I, I have no idea why. Well, like the poorest, the poorest in most ignorant species have transporters in this show. Mm-hmm. Well, they still have, to, it makes sense if you think about it. They need backups. If the transporters go down, you have ships coming to stay there anyways. You might as well make a docking port on it, right? And you need a backup in case the teleporters go down that you can do it manually. Okay. Two ports. But why do you have to have the damn thing look like a spider in space with its <laughs> arms, you know, turned inward? Uh, Cardassian architecture. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Fucking Cardassians. <laughs> Fucking Cardassians. You're right. We. I miss Cardassians. We need to get some 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 spoonheads on the show soon. Miss. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to say the S word. <laughs> That's racist, James. I'm racist against Cardassians. Not, that's you're not. A, you're a resident social justice warrior. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, everybody, everybody's racist against something. Now, uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, the only thing I've noticed through these early scenes is that Vash is wearing possibly the ugliest jacket I've ever seen on a Star Trek character. It looks like a spray painted uh, Michael Jackson type thing. 
It was very distracting. And I think the only reason I noticed it is because I, I think that I found Vash, Vash is quite attractive to look at. Sure. Uh, and and <laughs> apparently me and Picard are interested in the similar women. And uh, I believe it. Yes. So that was the only thing I've noticed in all of this stuff. That's pretty much. I was also sort of like intrigued that there is a bank at Deep Space Nine with uh, with like. Yeah. Uh, Safety deposit boxes. Oh yeah, <laughs> I would like yeah, to know yeah. more episodes set in the Bajoran Bank, right? With with its um, Bajoran version of Otho from Beetlejuice. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm only thinking of that because at the same film festival where I met uh, Nurse Ratchet, Otho is also from my hometown. <laughs> oh, you met Otho? Well, I saw him. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's from Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, really? As is Nurse Ratchet, and I. They were both at a film festival. Oh, wow! <laughs> I saw them one time. The end. That's fascinating <laughs> that you met Oda. <laughs> Uh, the bank scene was laughably long. I thought, like, I thought most of the scenes in this episode. I think they were sh- they were vamping. Like, I think, like, you see her. Let me just go through the first act. How much? foot dragging there is in this episode you see her and pack every item in her bag to put in that safety deposit box they talk about each item they place it in the, only one of them has any importance to the plot of the show but you talk about the dagger we talk about the statue we talk about the bag of gems everything then he talks about how to establish a password for her to set up her security system then we see her set up her <laughs> security system we see her enter her passcode. They see her put a ball into the safety deposit box and lock it. Then she goes back to her room. Then you see her unpack her bag twice in that scene. And yeah, at least because Q keeps making it reappear because he wants her back. Yeah, I, and that's cute. But there is an astonishing amount of just business in this episode. Later on in the episode, during the auction, you see them auction off every piece from her bag. Yeah. They had to meet their time, their 42 minutes, I guess, and they were scrambling. You couldn't give Kira a scene? You couldn't give Dax a scene? I mean, like, we I don't know. That's the way I was, that's the, sort of the way I was feeling with this. Right. I see what you're saying. I think that they could have had a compelling, like, C story instead of all the packing <laughs> yes. and unpacking. Yeah, that would have been nice. So that was, that was something that I noticed, is that this scene is going on forever. Yeah. And then you move on to the Ferengi haggling. Yeah, that's fun, I guess. Yeah, that's fun. Like, do you ever need to negotiate with the Ferengi? Just jack off his ears. You can get whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, that was, she basically gave him a hando, didn't she? Oh, yeah. Isn't, isn't that basically what we saw? Yeah, how? Yeah. I, I was you just reached re- straight okay, for that deep. I'm going to ask this question. Are Ferengi's ears their genitals? They're erogenous <laughs> zones for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's their erogenous zone. I think they're lucky enough to have, you know, that's not how they reproduce, but that's how they get off. Okay. <laughs> Which, uh, from an evolutionary from an evolutionary standpoint, doesn't make sense to me. But so, when Ferengis are are home alone, do they rub their own ears? Oh yeah, they look at yeah. That's they that. go into a holodeck and have um, webbed handed masseuses yeah, there's do that. it. But like, is there going to be? There should be a scene where Nog is like where. Sisko walks into a room and Nog is like rubbing his ears and is really embarrassed about it. I don't know. <laughs> Leave me alone, man. Leave me alone. And like, what is that? That most over here right now. <laughs> right. And then they have to negotiate like a payoff to never mention it again. Yes. 
Okay. Yeah, that, that that most definitely happened. I can guarantee that happened at one point. Okay. Yes. So yes. So they. But but actually, it's it's pretty hard to surprise Quark. It's pretty, and so you got to give it to Vash that she had that that, that skills like right off the bat. Yeah, you know? it's an interesting character. They went to a lot of trouble to develop. I mean, she's a she's a good character. I don't know the actress's name. I should know that. But I don't. But anyway, I mean, she's a good. She was a good actress. She was playing a character that had a, you know, Jennifer Hetrick. All right, and I mean, she's good, and like it's a callback. It was been a, you know, one of the things that I thought was you spent a lot of time developing a character who leaves the entire show, like at the end of this episode. So, like, I guess that's interesting. But I don't know. At this time, where I feel like everybody that I'm supposed to care about is so underdeveloped, why? Right. right, we're spending a lot of time developing characters. That yeah, this this episode was not about developing characters, but about establishing this show in relation to the next generation. Yes, everything is like, well, we it was yeah, it's character algebra. Yeah, it was. Totally so was. so we can put this in the obligation column. This entire not just that Q was in it, but right. that Vash was in it, and that it was uh, it was yet another episode trying to hug bonds with. Next generation, right? Like if you hadn't seen, if you didn't know who Vash was, you would be like, "Well, who the fuck is this?" Oh, except that O'Brien talks like O'Brien recognizes her. I can't say for certain. Did he even have a line in the episode of Next Generation where she showed up? Uh, probably not. No, probably not. And then Q even says no. at one point, "Oh, you're one of the little people. Like you don't mean yeah, shit." He, which yeah, he's I like, "I don't even know you." And then. <laughs> Yeah, which I like. This is part of what I liked about this episode in that context. It's like he's like, well, yeah, and and also, but that also brings up my point of as they're positioning. Maybe O'Brien is the guy that sees everything, but doesn't necessarily interact or is involved. Oh yeah, like that opening that's scene. What maybe that's I like what they're the doing most. with that opening scene where there he's rolling his eyes at Julian. Because he sees everything and is like, yeah, okay. But he can gossip about Vash later. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things to me about this about this episode is Q's relationship with the actual station. Usually whenever Q a- appears on a ship, he wreaks havoc and everything's turned upside down. But Deep Space Nine is such a shithole to begin with. That they barely notice his presence, really. <laughs> yeah. Like the everyday business of Deep Space Nine is not affected that much. Yeah, that's another thing I liked about this is that it puts him in a different context. It puts him in the friend zone. He's friend zoned. He's been friend zoned. Yeah, and he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm not going to fuck with shit. Shit sucks here. And then everybody blames him. He's like, oh, hey, mm. I'm not going to mess with he's it. He's basically I'll- Mr. Mixoplex, oh, totally. Superman. Yeah. That's a good that's call. Ba- that's basically what he, he's. He's he's Mixoplex, and there's just no way to get him to go away. Like you can't say his name backwards, and he'll disappear. <laughs> but he's an amalgamation of all of of uh, like the sp- angry space gods in the original Star Trek, just condensed into one like species and character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it seemed like every other episode of the original series had some sort of angry space god. That was omnipotent. That knew Abraham Lincoln or <laughs> was the form of a crystal, or you know, yes. yes, and and they finally just like 
it was the it, you know there was getting one character to just facilitate all of that. Yeah, except that um, the bartender knew Mark Twain on Next Generation. <laughs> yeah, right. That was actually that was actually really cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that probably ultimately is that the, the Q had so little to do in this episode. I'm not even really sure. I mean, you didn't need Q, and I know that for a fact that the story was pitched by um actually by one of those writers that were fired that was fired in season 1 by uh Jane Roddenberry. Uh her name is Hannah Louise Shearer. She was she was fired in season 1 of Next Generation and yes. they brought her back on for this. She was one of the 30 the 30 writers fired. She was actually show I guess had some sort of showrunner position for the last 6 episodes of the first season 1. But the only other thing that she ever wrote for Star Wars was she pitched this episode. Star Trek. And then start Yes. Did I say Star Wars? You yeah. certainly did. I was going to let it slide, Fuck. but I felt like I had to say something. <laughs> you got to edit that out. I can't. I can't we, we will lose all credibility if it keeps that up. The, okay. Um, <laughs> the, for Star Trek, uh, it was the only thing else she wrote, and it was just a Vash episode. There was no Q. And then hmm. uh, the powers that be stuck Q in it. Oh, man. And well, that makes sense because she left with Q. You can't. It makes sense from a, uh, from a producer's even like, the, how did she get to the Gamma Quadrant in the first place? She could have said Q dropped me off. It sounds like they weren't sure that they were going to get the actor to play Q, so maybe she without, pitched it uh, without him. I don't know. Well, you see, you guys are getting right. You guys are getting into the thing that I was going to change about this. That's actually what I was, you guys, I cannot believe that's a part of <laughs> the actual story of how this episode came to be. Because my suggestion if I was going to change one thing was to split this episode in two and make it a Vash episode and then give Q his own separate episode. Like looking for Vash or that Vash is still like you have one episode about Vash. No, nothing to do with Vash. Uh, oh, having like, uh, I see. I, no, Vash, you solved the Vash in the Gamma Quadrant problem by having one line when she gets, you know, beamed aboard by saying an old boyfriend took me there. Uh, yeah, I was, you know, the Q, the entity known as Q dropped me off for the Gamma Quadrant, and then Cisco says, oh yeah, I was there at the symposium on <laughs> Q. That's completely feasible. And then she goes about her her business. She's such a shady character, and she's so you know, interesting on a few different levels that she fits really well with the Deep Space Nine world. Yeah, yeah. That you don't need Q at all. Well, I agree, but what I like about this as a Q episode is that you're right, that might have worked better, but I feel like a Q episode later on would work worse. It would be what I don't like about Q episodes. What I liked about this one is it was just like him basically just chasing ex, an ex-girlfriend, but <laughs> it was an interesting human interaction that I hadn't, didn't have to worry about that. He didn't really give a shit about the station or testing anybody. He's just like, I'm here for her. I'm not going to do some weird tricks like I did with the card. Yeah. I'm just going to, all right, I'm more playful and not... I liked him not being the reason for the conflict. I liked him just being on the sidelines and like commenting on it more than actually being the impetus behind well, it. Well, the, the way you fix that problem is to, is to have him arrive at the station, want to cause conflict, but then realize that the station has got enough conflict that like he's second <laughs> fiddle and then leaves butt hurt. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
But then that's like a scene. Yeah, <laughs> then you have some interesting like B story with a Bajor and the Cardassians or a C story <laughs> with Dax for the first time. But you're right. You're probably right. Just just leave him out of it. <laughs> just don't do a key you episode. Wedge in a, yeah, you fix that by wedging in a better episode. No. Um, <laughs> um, but I wish he had something to do here. Because if you if you do put it on paper... There, I mean, he could be actively try like their romance could be more consequential, but he he says he likes her. She's done with him, and by the end, basically, it's the same disgust. They try to do the little hook at the end where she he kind of knows her, and he knows that she's gonna go off and try to steal some jewels for Quark or whatever uh, instead of taking the teaching position or whatever that she she was offered. But I I still think that ultimately the core conflict never changes. He's pining for her. She doesn't like him anymore. And that's where it is at the end of the episode. And so, like, if you're going to spend so much time on this episode, it's not, like, riddled with plot already. You you could have, like, a, I don't know, there could be some sort of change. You know, she could fall into his wiles. She could fall back into his arms or whatever. They, they could fuck. And then, like, at the end, she realizes that that's wrong because... She, the thing that drives her to steal a uh, space squid yeah, embryos I th- I I is also the drive the that makes her like Q, and maybe she needs to get away from that. I don't know. And so in the end, she leaves him. Yeah, well, you can't have Q fucking, because that's just... That well, I don't mean... You, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But they have fucked, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Most definitely. Well, no, the thing that attracts... He's above... Probably, sure, yeah. But I like that scene at the end, and I thought it humanizes him to the extent what he likes about her isn't that he's, she's mortal or anything is that he can see a nebula and actually appreciate it like the grandeur of it i i did like that and i do think that's i i liked that i think that was uh i like that scene the it was i don't know why it was like his little teardrops in the rain speech at the end but <laughs> yeah i i like that and i do like that that sentiment is expressed i wish that was a uh like dressing on a better episode yeah I mean, I do realize that I'm in the minority that I actually like this one. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Actually, I, I liked it okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a like a C minus or C plus B minus episode. Okay. I'd give it a C minus. And in the context of the whole show, just uh, the other little nitpicky things that I noticed, things that, okay, this just proves that they didn't know what they were doing yet. They didn't have an art plotted out there. Probably struggling like in the first couple of seasons of mm-hmm. Next Generation, there they got on board a little bit faster and started from a better place. But as far as her, she's the utmost authority on the Gamma Quadrant. She's like, maybe I'll write a book. She says at one point, but she clearly <laughs> doesn't because she doesn't know anything about the Dominion, which is which yes, uh, that dominates the Gamma Quadrant. Five seasons of the show is all about. Yeah, it seems like that they more than the Romulans dominate the Beta Quadrant or or the Borg the the Delta Quadrant. The Dominion dominate their the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah, like anything anything that was thought or said would have been about the Dominion. So I, it seems kind of yeah. Well, that only proves that she she all of her knowledge about the Gamma Quadrant is is only through Q's eyes, like what he decided to show her. Hmm. Because she didn't have any sort of agency yeah. in the Gamma Quadrant. Sure. Right? Yeah, that's one meta way to read it. But also, especially with that last episode where the guy's chasing the... Oh, yeah. 
mm-hmm. most dangerous game around. It's like they don't know. <laughs> it's right. The writers don't know. Mm-hmm. Cause at this point, at this point in the season, it's an alien of the week coming through the wormhole. Right. That's how they think they're going to do it. And then they realize that people aren't responding. They have to get a general threat. And then they come up with the dominion later when they figure out how to do things. Yeah, there is a zero. I mean, I, I think that we all believe now that there's not a piece of paper anywhere where the name Dominion is written on it in Paramount Studios while this was going on. No. No one had that Dominion sketched out on a yarn board of how they're going to get there. <laughs> right. They're still figuring things out as they go along, which yeah. is how television was done in, in those days, I suppose. Two very, very inconsequential questions I have about the episode. Um, when Cisco is talking about Vash and Picard and he says that he doesn't strike me as Picard's type. What was Cisco insinuating with that? That Picard has a stick up his ass and that she's like a, okay. you know, wild, interesting lady. Okay. And why would, because in my mind, in my mind, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. I, that's what I thought. Too. Okay, okay, because I read it as because that's also a way to like I, Wait, I, don't, know. I don't know, <laughs> but I was like, you, did you read it as were you, were you reading it through? How are they portraying this black man? <laughs> no, no, no. I was reading it as is he calling? Is he does he? I assume Picard was gay, <laughs> like or something like that. No, but uh, <laughs> that's the way I, I was like. Oh. Is he is he insinuating that he thought Picard was gay? <laughs> but. No, I, which, yeah, so, so that was that. And then, um, the only, the most inconsequential thing I noticed is that at one point they have Vash wearing a necklace that fastens to her ears. And that is the most ridiculous thing I've seen in a Star Trek episode. Yes. Yeah, that was at the end. Oh, I didn't notice that. Somebody had fancy ideas about costuming that they wanted to apply to the Bajorans and then just turn it up a notch, I guess. Ear shit, and somebody has an ear fetish between the Bajorans, this ear necklace, and the Ferengi. <laughs> yeah. Outside of that, I got nothing. Does anybody, Hugh, you, Hugh, you got anything? No, I, I'm just still reeling from the fact that this was supposed to be just a Vash episode, and that they had like shoehorned Q in there, and that was like my main complaint with the episode is that it felt shoehorned. Uh, (laughs) like i picked up on what it was actually yeah so oh another thing i noticed (laughs) like they talk at one point when the station oh the station's gonna blow up in 14 hours in two hours we're gonna start evacuating everybody by the end of it we're gonna blow up in 12 minutes Eh, don't tell anybody on the station we'll just let them (laughs) (laughs) they're dead anyways yes (laughs) but that's another one of those nitpicky things. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, they they hastened it. They had like eighteen minutes, and then he was like, "Let's do it faster so that we can get a clue on where it is." So, yeah. Why can't the ship go through the wormhole? The runabouts do because they're smaller. It's a bigger thing. It's not meant for that speed of travel or that velocity. It would tear it apart. Okay, I guess. That makes sense to me. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fine. I was just I, like, if it's a technical reason, but it just seemed like, like they have shields and deflectors, which at some point I need to figure out the difference between those because right. apparently it's important. But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I could. I it seems like couldn't they just hold it together with space magic and like get it through? But yeah, you 
they probably they did that when the first in emissary in the first episode where oh, they yeah. travel. Yeah, they move pretty They put the shields to bulk it up to make like so they can stand the stress, I guess. Then a Cardassian attack. I guess the wormhole just puts more stress than that did. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Do we want to go through what we what we would change about this? Have we talked about it, but do we have a Well, we covered for Hugh. Yeah. Yeah, you guys go. I, I would like to. I would be interested in hear what you guys would change. You go first, Wade. <laughs> oh, uh, mm, let's see. I don't know. Like I was saying, I actually like this one. I would. I would clear up a lot of those discrepancies I had. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I should have thought of that more. Oh, that's mm-hmm. perfectly valid. I would have. You know, in hindsight, I would have mentioned the Dominion or something. But that's just like they didn't know what they were doing. That's yeah. Fine. It's just tying it in better. Like, I guess I'm starting to get frustrated that certain shows aren't about, like, I, you get a lot of Cisco in this, and that's good. You get cis, a moderate amount of Cisco in every episode, and you get a moderate amount of Quark in every episode so far. We've had one where no, there was no Quark. And I get why that is. He's, he's good, he's funny, and he was probably a crowd favorite, and it seemed like to me, just as someone who didn't watch the show... In the 90s, when I saw Deep Space Nine things, it was always Quark's face. So he was the face of the show. Uh, he was like the data of the show. But I um, it see, I would rather this show, if you're going to spend a whole episode about Vash, and you're going to spend a whole episode with Q, tie it like completely with a character that from Deep Space Nine. So... But they do the the sort of scattershot thing where you get a little bit of Bashir, but not much at the beginning. You get, you know, like you get like little sort of images here and there. There's like an oat. But like I would like it. I, it's hard for me to say this is a Cisco episode. Yeah. And I, I, I wish that I could say that. You know? Yeah. No, actually, I think that you, you uh, tap into something. Yeah. If I had to change anything. This doesn't stand on its own as a Deep Space Nine episode. This is a companion piece. It's only good in reference to what? To, to Q and Vash. Next yeah. generation, yeah. They talk about Picard all episode. None of their actual ensemble has anything to do in this except for mm-hmm. Quark. But he's only there to get his ears jacked off. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then they have one scene where they compare Cisco to Picard. Mm-hmm. But most of it's not even really about him. Yeah, it's it's like here's Q, these other things. But it's probably because people love Next Generation. How can we tie it in so that maybe people will watch this? That's definitely, and I think it was pretty. That's pretty simple. Is they just don't have confidence. I think what you're seeing just in general is that you're seeing writers who don't have confidence in the concept yet. Yeah, and I think that's. I think that you can sum up every podcast we've done so far. It, except for the pilot, which had a lot of confidence in the concept, even though it, they went, did shoehorn uh, Pat, uh, Patrick Stewart into the show. Yeah, but, but good well, they didn't shoehorn him in. Well, yeah, 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 they didn't shoehorn him in. It was a natural, like it was a natural function of the story. This, like, they've shoot in the Klingon sisters. They've shoot in Vash. That you know, even the way they've used O'Brien has been shoehorned on. Totally. Yeah. So, um, right. Yeah. So to the point that it irritates me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it, you know, you, it is very much a, it, they, they don't have confidence in the show. And I think it, it shows. 
and I, I'm interested to see when they get an episode where they do have confidence in the concept. And I think we'll know it when we see it. I think they could have, here's what they could have done. I mean, Dax has not been used at all. If you wanted to tie Q to an actual member of, of Deep Space Nine, have Q had a friendship with one of uh, Dax's previous hosts and, you know, Dax has special knowledge of Q and oh, yeah. something, something there like, where Dax, yeah. Dax is the only one that could talk him down from something, from wreaking havoc. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. Oh. Or some sort of fascination of his with Trill or something. Yeah. And then she knows him. That would be one way to do it. Sure. Right there. That idea is. is yeah, that's that's true. I mean, that would have been at least something for her. Yeah. Some sort of relationship with it. Other than I know about him because I went to a conference once. <laughs> right. Right. Which they really do say. The Q Symposium. The Q Symposium, <laughs> right. yeah. So I... But it makes sense that they would talk about that because it's the flagship. They, that actually makes a mm. lot of sense. Yeah. No, I, it's kind of boring and heady, but... <laughs> no, I have no I have no doubt. I, I, I did believe that they wouldn't have a conference. I guess I just thought it was it was sort of... It's still it was, a little it was silly. Weak, yeah, it was I mean, weak tea, you know, to... As far as having a bond on the show, a work conference. You have right. a guy who basically, if you, if you just ca- casually watched Next Generation, would you know who the fuck O'Brien was? No, he's one of the little people. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he's just there to convey information from one show to the other, and yeah, totally. he leaves in the next episode. I think he's filming uh, Con Air or something. <laughs> so he's gone for like half the season after this. So, uh, he was in Con Air, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was, I thought he was, no, he yeah. was just in like small Irish films, like the Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain. Or <laughs> no, he's in Con Air, he's the main antagonist to uh, shit, what's his name, Nick Cage? No, not on the ship, the guy that's not on the but the uh, high fidelity, what's his name, Cusack, John Cusack, oh, John Cusack. John Cusack. he's the main um foil to john cusack in that episode in that episode in that show in that movie (laughs) (laughs) that big dumb jerry bruckheimer movie i think we have better shows ahead of us but i yeah yeah, this is i mean even this season and even like maybe even this half a season but i do think this is starting to wear and i can see why if this was the point where science fiction fans started leaving the show and never watching babylon 5 um, I don't know how good that was, but it seems like people talk about it as being really good. Right. I didn't watch it either. I could see why there was a sort of struggle to keep it afloat. Yeah, they're both about space stations, too, which is And they're problematic. both political, complicated, right? Right. So, I do... One thing I noticed about this episode that I'm starting to note... So, I was watched Jessica Jones, and I noticed that this show... Uh, and Jessica Jones both have like sort of, you know, strong, sort of motivated, flawed females. And one of the things that I n- noticed is that a villain in these type of shows is a boy, as a unwanted boyfriend. Hmm. And so that's a, it, when you start having female sort of heroes and leads, you start getting new types of villains. And one of them is a overly attached boyfriend. So I, I, I thought that tied into Jessica Jones, something I was watching at a little motif that I'm starting to see re- reoccurring again. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, we're doing great. I tied this episode see, to yeah, it. Yeah, we're bringing Jessica Jones into it. See, this this is a timeless show. Yes. It's very important. <laughs> yes. It's worth talking about, right? Yes. 
Jessica Jones is dependent on Deep Space Nine. It would Deep not Space exist. Nine and the character Vash. Yeah. <laughs> right. so. But or whether that's true or not, I think uh, I think we're at a good stopping point. Yes. Um, anybody else have any final thoughts to add? All right, I'm nope. done. <laughs> nope. nope. Uh, we have better episodes coming up. I yes, think everybody- the next episode is pretty good. I actually watched ahead, oh, okay. uh, but it's a it's it is a Dax focused episode, and uh, it's about Dax, but it's more of a Cisco episode, and it's pretty good. Oh, this it's written. Yeah, it's the one where she goes on trial, and it's written by the DC uh, DC Fontana. Oh, fantastic! Who was yeah. the original? Yeah, she the was orig- on the original Star Wars track. Yes, yeah. and that that. And she was one of those shit talking Roddenberry and Chaos on the Bridge. So, right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Three to beam up. Cool. All right. Three <laughs> to beam up. All right. Thanks for listening. We're done and we're beaming up. The Bye bye. Please follow us on Twitter at Acquisition Pod. No kickers podcasts actually. Hello. All right. Uh, welcome to the remixes of Rules of Acquisition. How's everybody doing today? It's early in the morning, and I uh, haven't been good about recording these. So I'm going to record this one on Q-less, an episode I remember nothing about, a podcast I remember nothing about other than I just listened to it. And um, it's really, I mean, I'm sure everyone is saying this in these remake, remixes, but it's pretty interesting to hear... Let's talk. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like we were even sort of getting our sea legs on how to get it. And I, I feel like that you keep hearing a more hopeful. I mean, now that we know how the whole project went down and, and that me and Hugh um, uh, just sort of pulled away from the show towards the end of it and, and maybe sort of uh, rejected some of the earlier theses or some of our excitement about doing the podcast in an early show. And I, and I, you know, and you can go back and see the sort of, I, I de- hesitate to call it naivete, but, um, you know, we were definitely much more friendly to it. And and I think that I just want to talk about that from like a personal level. I think that a lot of that was about us having fun doing it and sort of getting our bearings on how, how we were doing it. And, you know, some of the, now that I listen to it again, some of the early sort of signs that we approach reviewing differently and that maybe we want different things from, from the stories that we're getting, um, I think it was pretty early on. It was pretty evident early on. And, um, and so that's an early theme that's picked up that our conflicts is that we just sort of tolerate shows more. I believe this is one of the first Hugh likes it and me and Wade didn't, or me and Wade liked it and me and Hugh didn't, um, which, you know, becomes a theme, I guess. Um, but, this was one of the first ones of that, but it was nice to see how, you know, like none of our, none of our hair was up over not like, you know, and it's hard. I mean, probably in retrospect, I'm sure this Vash episode is better than some of the shit we saw in season six. But, um, you know, at the time I, I remember watching it and just kind of being dis- like bored. Like this is the boring stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's wait till it gets good. And it does get good. Um, and then it, it doesn't stay good. But, um, we it's nice to go back and visit where you were and to see how kind of i mean i think that because we all i don't want to say we all i don't know what people do i tend to overwrite my programming once i've come to a 
conclusion or changed my mind on something. It's just sort of the way I am. Uh, and in that way, you sort of exist in the moment, you know, like, you know, I'm an avowed socialist and, 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 and a pretty, pretty, pretty extreme left person. Um, but I wasn't that way. I don't even think I would have called myself a socialist. Maybe even when this program broke, I'm, I'm my radicalization follows the, the Bernie Bo trajectory here of, of online, the, uh, I don't know, desperation or whatever. But, you know, but when I became that, or when you hold these ideas, you sort of overwrite your programming. You forget the way you came and, Maybe disliking the show is that way where I, you know, I liked, I was a man who liked the show. That was my programming um, early on. And so every time we have one of these uh, just fucking dumb clunker episodes where it's just a, you know, a cash grab or just time wasting. I remember the time wasting in this episode where like they just clearly had like 20 minutes of story and had to make a 40 minute story out of it. But, um, that you excuse that because you're waiting for the good stuff to happen. And then I think that the despair kind of came when you realized that, like, the good stuff is seasons four and five, I guess. And, um, and some of six, but four and five. And, and so, huh. You know, I, I don't, I, I, I look back and I, you know, I'm kind of bemused by the James that's on this, but I also miss it. Um, we were having a good time then. I mean, that was not a good time for me personally. Like, I mean, I'm not like, you know, we were fine. I had kids and wife, but like, you know, we were the string of financial hardships. My wife's career was getting started up. So there's just a ridiculous amount of stress on that time period. And, and it was 2015, 2000, early 2016. So we were about to have, you know, just full on hell. We were already in hell world, but I was about to realize it. Um, it's interesting going back in that way. This is probably not that interesting from a Star Trek perspective. Like, I don't... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to, like... I don't know how to talk about Star Trek anymore. So I just talk about myself. So, um... That's where we were. It's kind of nice to go back and revisit your friends. And, and that's one of the things I think that we're probably... There's so many uh, of us uh, unimpressive white men who have podcasts that... I'm sure we're going to go back and listen, like we'll gather our kids, our bored teen kids. and Oh, listen to this. Listen to this point I made about Han Solo. Oh, it was so great. You don't know what it was like back in 2016. We were all talking about <laughs> like it all seemed like all the content was coming and it was great. And it was all the stuff we liked when we were a kid. Nothing about it was sour or empty. Um, you know, I think that we'll look back at podcasts the way our parents looked at like old black and white photos of their child of their childhood year. So, um, so watching it's kind of like that. We're going through some old shit and reliving our glory days. Wade, uh, put glory days on the end of this. We need some Bruce to spruce this Bruce this thing up. All right, I will talk to you guys later. I don't know which one's the next one I'm doing, but I hope you guys are enjoying these. Thank you. Thank you.